This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Since 2008, the Gainesville-based Sea Turtle Conservancy has given members of the public the opportunity to follow a group of sea turtles from their nesting beaches to their foraging grounds, a trip that can often be several thousands of miles or more. It's an outgrowth of the work they do researching sea turtles in their mission to protect them around the world. The goal is to raise awareness about sea turtles and the threats they face and to raise money to make this kind of research possible. The Tour to Turtles follows the marathon migration of four different species of sea turtles, leatherback, green, hawksbill, and loggerhead. It kicked off on August 1st and runs through the end of October. Whichever turtle travels the furthest over that time is declared that year's winner. To learn more about the race and the work being done by the Conservancy, I spoke last week with its executive director, David Godfrey. Let's hear that conversation now. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. We invite you to weigh in on today's conversation using WGCU social media. We're on Facebook and on Twitter. So, David, for starters, just tell us a bit about your background and how long you've been with the Sea Turtle Conservancy. Well, uh, I'm a native Floridian. (laughs) It's going back a long way, but uh, it's part of the story. Uh, I was born here in Florida. I grew up in uh, central Florida. I was uh, very much a a surfer and uh, into the marine environment because of that activity, which is a big part of my younger life, and uh, started getting me interested into, you know, what's happening to our environment? What are, we, what are we doing to our natural resources, to our state? And it influenced my my academic pursuits. And uh, I knew fairly early on, and, you know, even in high school, that I wanted to do something related to conservation, uh, the protection of wildlife, specifically in Florida, and I sort of tailored my education that way and um, uh, graduated in the, in the late 80s and, and immediately went to work for a, a different organization, but still working on environmental issues in Florida and moved over to the Sea Turtle Conservancy in 93, which uh, means I'm about to hit my, uh, what is it, my 30-year anniversary uh, working for the Sea Turtle Conservancy. Wow. Um, describe the scope of the work that you do there at the Conservancy and, you know, your partners are doing. Well, the uh, Sea Turtle Conservancy is actually the oldest sea turtle conservation and research group in the world. Um, that's a, a factual statement. We were created in the 1950s by University of Florida professor Dr. Archie Carr, who uh, during his lifetime was the world's leading uh, scientific authority and advocate for sea turtles. Some of his, his, his work, his academic pursuits, and his writings, he was a prolific writer for both scientists and the layperson on sea turtles and other wildlife issues. But that, that work led to the formation of this organization, and uh, we continue his legacy through today. Uh, and, and I like to tell people, you know, we're founded on science. We conduct some of the longest continuous sea turtle research and monitoring programs in the world. And um, that research and the data that we get from the thing we do on nesting beaches uh, around the world and um, in laboratories looking at different aspects of sea turtle ecology and physiology, all of that guides our, our educational work and our conservation work. So, um, you know, we, we do a little of everything uh, as it relates to sea turtles. We, we study them uh, in their natural environment. We're 
actively engaged in the protection of some of the most important turtle nesting sites, uh, especially in the in Florida and the in the Caribbean. We are, you know, publishing peer-reviewed papers, scientific papers on what we're learning, and then we use that information to deliver all kinds of fun, interactive uh, education programs that are reaching, you know, sometimes millions of people around the world with accurate information about sea turtles and uh, in ways that people can become engaged in, in their protection. Um, and our, our work even delves into policy. We, we actively monitor issues affecting turtles. We uh, engage with decision makers, you know, government bodies um, at the local, state, national, and even international level and try to influence outcomes when policies are being developed that benefit sea turtles or their wildlife. I mean, the, the broad mission is to ensure the survival of sea turtles. And that's what we do any way we can. And so one of the things that you do in terms of outreach and raising awareness of your work is this Tour de Turtles. So describe it to our listeners. Well, this is uh, it, almost exactly like I just said. It's, uh, it has grown out of our research. So uh, going back about 20 years, the technology of satellite telemetry was developed as a way to track wildlife. And, and we've been on the front lines of, of using that technology to learn about uh, what sea turtles are doing away from their nesting beaches. You know, this is a marine animal that must return to the land in order to nest and reproduce. And, and that, those nesting sites present the easiest opportunity for studying them. Right. This is where, you know, hey, we're air breathing, you know, land walking animals. We can be there. We can see them when they come ashore. They're easy to study that way. But they lay their eggs on the beach. They disguise the nest. They crawl back to the water and they're off and they become very difficult to study once they hit the water. So by using satellite telemetry, we can monitor their movements, gather all kinds of information about their migratory routes where they are seasonally, and even a little bit about their behavior when they get to where they're going. And tracking their movements uh, using you know, different types of, of uh, GIS mapping tools is something that we realize that the public is very interested in, just like we are. You know, there's just something really cool about being able to watch what this animal is doing as it navigates great distances uh, around the globe, practically, and um, we, we initially just started making those maps available online. Hey, you know, you want to you want to follow the movements of a turtle? Log on to our website; it's free. Check it out, and along the way, we'll try to feed you some important information about their survival, you know, various threats, and, and ways you can help. And then one day, the idea came to us: Hey, we're tracking, you know, a dozen turtles all at the same time maybe we can make this into a program that uh, is even more engaging than just watching them move around. And uh, we conceived of this idea of a race. Um, of course, the turtles were tracking different species from different locations, and they're all going to different places. So it can't be a race you know, from point A to point B. But we, we can track the distances that they're traveling very precisely. Um, so we essentially we chose a, a fairly arbitrary date toward the end of most nesting seasons in this part of the world, which is uh, the end of July, 
And uh, we picked a, a fairly arbitrary length of time. We said, what about three months? That sounds good. Let's do, you know, uh, August 1st to October 31st. And we'll track all these turtles at the same time. And let's see which one can travel the furthest during that time frame. And the, so the concept of the tour to turtles was born. And we started uh, developing that website, tourtoturtles.org. Um, we started inviting different sponsors to sponsor individual turtles. Um, and it's, it's fairly expensive to track a sea turtle. Uh, you know, on average, it, it can cost from five to $7,000 for one animal. That includes the cost of the, the transmitter. And then every time the transmitter sends a signal to an orbiting satellite, we have to pay to access that data. Hmm. And over the course of a year or two of tracking an animal, that adds up. And then we often have to travel to locations to apply those transmitters. Well, in order to, to do that research and gather this really important information for conservation purposes, the development of the Torta Turtles, aside from being a very popular education program, provides a mechanism for raising some money to support the work that we do. So we've approached you know, companies like Disney, uh, the F uh, Four Seasons Resort in the Caribbean on the island of Nevis, um, Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. Um, there's a, a dive watch company uh, out of Switzerland. I mean, you name it. Uh, every year, the, the group of sponsors um, evolves and changes, and we are always adding you know, new ones. And they sponsor the individual turtles. They get to name them. We have each turtle uh, racing to raise awareness about a particular cause. You know, in, in, in the human world, if there, you'll, you'll find that with, you know, marathon runners or other distance runners, you'll, you know, some of them are, are racing to raise awareness about a particular, you know, issue or, you know, to raise awareness or, or even funds for cancer research, let's say. Well, we have our turtles doing the same thing. They're, they're racing to raise awareness about the issue of artificial lighting and its impact on turtles or the accumulation of marine debris in the environment. And uh, that gives us another way to build in important educational messages associated with this race. And um, it's all available online. It's all free. And we, uh, we've developed uh, guidebooks and other materials that uh, make it easy for teachers to incorporate the program into uh, their curriculum by, you know, uh, including uh, aspects of geography and math and science and biology, you know, all into this fun turtle race. Hmm. So in a nutshell, that's the tour to turtles. How do you determine which turtles to tag and what kinds of turtles are you tagging? Well, STC uh, or the Sea Turtle Conservancy works in several different sites around the Atlantic, uh, Caribbean, and, and of course around Florida. And uh, we focus on some of the most important nesting sites for uh, four different species, loggerheads, green turtles, uh, leatherbacks, and hawksbills. And so our research is, is focused on all four of those. And so we like to do telemetry research uh, whenever we can on each of those species. So uh, our work every year takes us to beaches where those turtles are nesting, and we try to include all of them in this tour to turtles. 
So um, in Florida, we're typically satellite tagging and releasing both loggerhead and green turtles. In Costa Rica, we are working primarily with green turtles. In fact, Tortuguera is the largest green turtle nesting site in the Western Hemisphere. And in Panama is where we're dealing with uh, leatherbacks. Uh, actually, in Florida, we, we uh, do some leatherback tagging as well. And then out in the Eastern Caribbean, most recently on the island of Nevis, we are tagging and releasing hawksbills. So the species we choose correspond to ongoing research projects that we have. It just happens to be those species we're looking at. And when it comes to selecting individual turtles, um, we want female turtles typically that have completed the nesting process. So they've come ashore, they've laid their eggs in the sand, they're heading back to the, to the sea, and we want to tag them at that point. Typically during the latter part of a nesting season, sea turtles will, uh, you know, an individual female turtle will come ashore and nest, you know, three, four, five, possibly more times during a season. We typically want to um, find her at the end of the season, uh, number one, so that she's not coming back ashore multiple times with the transmitter attached. There are some logistical reasons for that. Uh, when their shells bend a little bit, flex a little bit, which can happen when they come on to land, the transmitter can actually become weakened or, or unattached. Another issue is that in some of the places we're working, there is still the issue of illegal poaching or taking of sea turtles. And we don't want this device to be encountered by a poacher later in the season. So we want to tag them at the end of the year. It also uh, ensures that uh, very shortly after their release, they will begin their migration back to whatever foraging ground they're going to head to. And thus, we'll be able to track them for a, a longer period of time once that migration starts. So that's a little bit of what, what goes through our minds when we're choosing individual turtles. Um, talk about how far they travel, because I was, you know, not shocked, because I know they travel a long distance, but when you see it on the screen, like what you guys show is really neat, because you, you see kind of where the turtle is currently, and then you zoom out, like with a Google map sort of interface, and then suddenly you're like, holy cow, this thing went from like Central America to like the Northeastern United States. Correct, exactly. Uh, well, the, the different species are, are going to different places for, and for different reasons, typically in search of their food source or whatever type of habitat they tend to spend their, their lives in when they're not involved in reproduction. So um, the track you described would most certainly have been a leatherback turtle, um, and we're tagging and releasing them, as, as I mentioned, uh, on the east coast of Florida and also down in Panama, and um, they feed almost exclusively on jellyfish. And so they are migrating to areas and then constantly uh, on the prowl, essentially, uh, looking for jellyfish. So uh, in the North Atlantic are, are large jellyfish populations, also in the northern Gulf of Mexico. So these are some of the regions that we find that leatherbacks typically travel to. And then once they get there, you'll note that they're not just sort of taking up residency in a, in a particular spot. They're, they're always on the move. And that makes them, uh, 
you know, very prolific swimmers. Um, actually, they, they, they move so much that we had to divide the Torta Turtles into the Leatherbacks are all competing against themselves, and the rest of the species are competing against themselves because the Leatherbacks would always win. They're just constantly on the move. So that's why there's the two categories. I was going to ask you that. There's the Leatherback category where you can look at the individual turtles and see their progress, and there's the Chelonian. Is that how you say that word? Yes, these are the hard-shelled turtles. And that's just a that's a that's like a genus or like explain yes, that a little bit more. Correct. Oh, okay, cool. Exactly. Uh, the leatherback is a, is an ancient ancient creature. I mean, uh, it's, it's one of the oldest uh, in, of all the species. It's been around for you know well over a hundred million years. If you ever encounter a leatherback on the beach, you uh, you realize you're looking at a living dinosaur. They don't quite have hard shells. They have a spiny back with central ridges that go down the back. Uh, just a very interesting animal, and um, their behavior, their physiology is a little bit different than the other uh, hard-shelled turtles, and, uh, and uh, yeah, so we separate them into two different categories. I want to take a moment to reintroduce our guest. David Godfrey is executive director of the Sea Turtle Conservancy. We're learning about the annual Tour de Turtles and about the decades-long work done by the Conservancy to protect and monitor sea turtles around the world. If you'd like to engage with us, do so using WGCU social media. We're both on Facebook and on Twitter. So do turtles form communities like dolphins and whales, or are they individuals? Well, there are a lot of people looking at that, and um, they don't appear to be particularly social. Uh, You know, undoubtedly, there is interaction among turtles. Uh, Certainly, they're nesting in concentrated areas. We find them foraging in fairly concentrated areas. We don't fully understand uh, how and whether they interact uh, with each other very much uh, like, you know, uh, mammals. But it's, it's clear that there is some interaction, and we certainly do find them concentrated in, in certain spaces. Often that's because, you know, the food source is there, the habitat type is there, and they're attracted to that. Um, but, the, you know, the, that's one area where a lot more research could be done. It's certainly not as communal as, you know, as you know, you, your kids or, you know, even you have seen if you've watched, like, Finding Nemo and the turtles are all swimming together and different age classes are all together. Um, it's not like that. In fact, we find that you know, the hatchlings tend to be in one part uh, of the marine environment together, floating around in mats of sargassum, living sort of a pelagic existence. And then uh, juvenile turtles, all the way up to about the sub-adult size, they tend to concentrate in particular habitats uh, near the shore uh, where there are typically no adults. And then at some point they leave that habitat and and join an adult population somewhere and then live out their lives, sort of going between a nesting site, typically where they were born, and back to that foraging site. So they're sort of separated by age class Hmm. uh, out in the natural world. Um, you kind of just alluded to this. They do, they do return. Do they always return to their original nest site? Is it they return to the region? And, you know, explain that and then explain how we think they do that. Well, it appears that most turtles do return to their natal beach. So um, green turtles from Tortuguero uh, that were hatched on that beach when they grow up, you know, sometimes 30, 35 years later uh, is how long it takes to reach maturity. To re- reproductive age, they will return to that beach. It's not always the exact same spot, but we've been monitoring 
that beach for decades, you know, tagging and tracking individual turtles. And it's really uncanny how over decades you'll find the same turtle nesting, returning to nest within the same sort of eighth of a mile. So it's pretty precise. However, it's probably fairly common for them to occasionally nest somewhere else, whether that's a a survival tactic or, you know, they just are a little bit confused about where they are once in a while. We don't really know, but, you know, you wouldn't have new nesting sites being formed uh, over the eons if they didn't occasionally nest somewhere else. Right, right. But we we also know that some species are um, less site-specific in terms of where they nest. And and the best example of that is the leatherback turtle. We have individual leatherbacks that we've tagged nesting during the early part of a season uh, in Tortuguero in Costa Rica. And later in that very same season, they're nesting in Panama. So um, they tend to be a little more you know, willing to go to different beaches and, and, uh, and try different sites. Uh, and what motivates them to do that, we don't know, but that is far more common with leatherbacks. You know, is it known or is there speculation on how they, like, literally do it? Are they using, like, magnetic fields or, you know, there's got to be some way for them to navigate, you know, they're underwater. Well, you pretty much nailed it with that guess. Um, that, that is what's happening. Um, there's been quite a bit of research done and, and redone and tested, and that hypothesis is widely accepted as the main tactic being used by sea turtles. They have the ability to detect both the angle and the intensity of the Earth's magnetic field. And using those two characteristics of that field, they can tell where they are longitudinally uh, and latitudinally on, on the Earth. And so it's an amazing ability. There are some other animals, uh, some birds, some fish that uh, are, are known to migrate using um, that same technique. But um, we know through you know, laboratory experimentation that uh, they are sensing that field and they are changing their behavior and direction of swimming based on changing characteristics of the, of the magnetic field. So that is fairly widely believed to be what's going on. Almost more fascinating to me than the fact that they can detect that is that they must be born with some understanding of what those characteristics mean. I mean, it's one thing to sense them, but it's another thing to know, oh, if it's this is what I'm sensing, I should do this. Well, the only way for for a hatchling to know what way to swim is that it was born with uh, almost a, a map or a sort of internal compass telling it, you know, which is the right way to go uh, based on what it's sensing. So that's a pretty incredible aspect to sea turtles. Absolutely. Um, so is it possible to say at this point during this year's Tour de Turtles, uh, who is or which turtle is winning? And, um, or is it time shifted so there isn't really a clear winner or you know, leader right now? Um, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't looked at it in a little while. Um, I, I've, I've been you know, traveling all summer going to all the sites and participating in these turtle releases, and I just haven't checked. Um, but I can tell you that the leaderboard does shift and move a lot over the course of that three months. I mean, we've got all the way until October 31st uh, until the race is done, and a turtle will reach a destination that may be in the lead, and sort of hunker down, and one that uh, is still on the move, or, or maybe you know hasn't quite finished its migration, will you know may take over. So uh, it, the race certainly isn't over. I wouldn't want to predict you know who is going to win this thing at this point, 
but um, I, I apologize. I don't know exactly which that no, is moment. That, that's okay. Um, and just remind us then, you know, how is the winner determined? Is it uh, whoever has the most miles swum? Is it whoever reaches a certain number of miles first? It is the accumulation of distance traveled over the course of the race. So uh, just as we've been on the you know on the call here, I went ahead and looked in, and uh, for the hard-shelled turtles, we have a turtle named Dobby, uh, which is a loggerhead turtle, and it seems to be you know greatly outpacing uh, the other turtles. Um, I happen to know that Dobby traveled from the east coast of Florida over to the Bahamas, and you know has been still moving around the Bahamas, sort of looking for a place where it's going to settle down, and um, once it does that. It would be very easy for any of the other turtles that are still moving around to surpass that distance. In fact, some of the the green turtles that we're tracking, they're still nesting. That species is still nesting both in Florida and Costa Rica. So it's very possible, in fact likely, that some of them haven't even really begun their migration away from the nesting site. So uh, the field is wide open. Oh, it's fascinating. Well, I want to thank my guest, David Godfrey, as executive director of the Sea Turtle Conservancy. David, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all this cool stuff with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Check out our website, wgcu.org gcl, to see a video that shows the tagging process as they send a turtle out to sea from a beach at the Archie Carr National Wildlife Refuge in Melbourne along Florida's east coast. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Carrie Barber and myself. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Port Charlotte, and 91.7 WMKO, Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.